Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Today I am going to be speaking with Mohit Kumar. He is the founder and CEO of Ultra Human. Prior to this, in 2015, he founded a company called Runner, which is a hyperlocal logistics platform. Runner merged with Zomato, who you all may be familiar with, in 2017. Then Mohit transitioned to lead the global delivery business in Zomato. There, he built one of the largest delivery fleets in the world with approximately 300,000 plus delivery, delivery executives in over a thousand cities. Moed is an avid cyclist, he, a biohacker, and he is also into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I'm very excited about this conversation because we've been talking about the use of continuous glucose monitors or CGMs in other um, people outside the diabetes community. People are using them that don't have diabetes, and we all have a lot of questions about why and how that's working. Um, and I've seen some advocates, you know, that also just think and, and have, uh, spoken their opinion that it's just not, you know, really good and productive for people with diabetes that everyone else has access to this technology. So I'm going to speak with Mohit about this, try to understand a little bit more about Ultrium and how it works, who their target audience is, what the, how they use it. Um, just to continue to unpack this conversation of the use of CGMs in the general population. Now on to the show. Welcome to the podcast, Mohit. Thank you so much for joining. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here and responding to my request to um, have this discussion. So thank you so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here and I really look forward to the conversation. Thank you. So why don't we, before we get into what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself and then how you, you got to this point with, with Ultra Human and what you're doing now. Sure. So uh, my background is that I, uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I uh, started a company in the year 2015, which I eventually exited to an e-commerce company called Zomato. And then after that, um, given that I've been interested in the health and fitness space, uh, more from an athletics perspective, myself, I started like experimenting with biowearables, hardware devices, uh, biomarkers, etc., and also partnered with a bunch of doctors, sports scientists to actually figure out what is the next, uh, what's what's the way in which people are going to get healthy in the next uh, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, right? And the answer pretty much I was seeking was how do we actually cut through the clutter that's actually out there? Right, so there is there's so much of counterintuitive, conflicting advice out there in terms of health and fitness that people almost keep flipping between different options. So how does one actually see through this clutter? And the answer was pretty much in data. So if we can generate data about our own bodies, we can actually figure out not just what's good for like a group of people, but also pretty much good for an individual, uh, good for an individual, right? Um, so that was the prime hypothesis. Uh, with which we started almost two and a half years back. Since then, of course, like approximately a few hundred thousand users later and uh, almost, uh, you can say, thousands of users using the platform on a monthly basis, I think our learnings are pretty much, I think, aligned with what the hypothesis was that a lot of people don't 
actually have access to their own data and if, uh, um, and basically not just access but also interpretation of their own health data to understand uh, what's actually happening in their body and once somebody understands what's happening and they start taking micro steps towards improving it so that would be a quick 2 minute summary yeah i do think there's so much misconception out there and and now with social media more than ever it's very confusing something looks good or sometimes a famous person's endorsing something that may not be the healthiest thing or healthiest choice for one individual and it it can be very confusing so let's get into a little bit can you tell me more about because i i agree with you having data of course the more data you have the more you know the better outcomes for almost anything you can you can get and then interpreting that data so why don't you tell us a little bit about how ultra human works tell us how it works and how that can help people have better outcomes what are the outcomes that they can achieve by using ultra human how do, how does it work absolutely so what so ultra human is a biowearable uh, platform so we use multiple biowearables to look at your biomarkers your health biomarkers and uh, what we do is we actually stream those biomarkers directly from your body to uh, a smartphone app uh, which basically helps you interpret the data right so um, essentially uh, you can look at your glucose which is i think for us a very important biomarker um, and with the new hardware that we have released uh, recently uh, you can also look at your sleep patterns your resting pattern hrv um, movement all those factors included with uh, or in in a combination with your glucose so our vision essentially is to help people understand multiple of these biomarkers and also interpret it right because if you just just look at glucose without context it might not uh, mean anything in many scenarios but if you have context around why the glucose is varying in a certain way uh, was it because of food or lack of rest or exercise or uh because all of these factors affect your glucose response uh you will be able to understand how your body reacts to all of these uh scenarios physiological scenarios so that's what we're building uh, in the future of course we want to add more and more biomarkers think of things like ketones lactates alcohol all of these additional biomarkers to actually help you understand how your analytes of your body are trending so for example with ketones you can actually figure out um like essentially what is your body's metabolic flexibility so what sort of uh, fuel just about body actually use when when the user is fasting so all of those are uh, future extensions but today we track glucose and a few other physiological bi- uh, biomarkers like hrv sleep movement etc and when you're edu- how are are people um because honestly i've not tried your app i'm not downloaded and looked to see what people see when they use it but how is the app educating them about their glucose is it showing like if you're first of all maybe i should step back a minute what is considered does it show a, a full range of blood sugar in the app or is there like a certain high level are you trying to suggest to people that they target a particular blood glucose level Sure so once you put on a CGM uh, we stream the glucose data from a CGM um what you see is essentially your continuous glucose stream now based on the uh, the way the glucose stream actually moves uh, throughout the day 
uh, we interpret the glucose stream to also give you something called a metabolic score. So the metabolic score is in some ways your glucose metabolism performance, right? So there are certain factors that the score actually includes. Uh, these factors are things like time within a certain target range, uh, your glucose variability, um, and your average glucose, right? Apart from many other factors. Uh, we also include certain factors like, for example, when you um, when your glucose is rising, what is the acceleration rate and deceleration rate and swelling? So uh, what happens is that this score acts like a meta score to help you understand your glucose metabolism performance. And what you need to do as a user is essentially that you do things that actually help you improve this metabolic score. Now you could, by the way, uh, optimize your meals to uh, improve this metabolic score. Uh, you can essentially um, do strength training, which makes you more insulin sensitive to optimize this metabolic score. You can also optimize your sleep, uh, which will also improve your insulin sensitivity to help you optimize this metabolic score. So sort of works like a compass for your health, right? Now there are two types of use cases that we have seen till now. One is people put the CGM on and they start getting a metabolic score and they go by their life like usual, right? And they make minor lifestyle changes. Like for example, they would walk after their meals. Uh, they would do like exercise two to three times per week minimum. Uh, they would sort of like make their meals more balanced. These are all the suggestions that the platform will give you along the way. Once you do some of these things, your scores will be on the higher side naturally. You don't need to input anything to actually get a score, right? You don't need to input anything like a food log or a workout score, etc., to actually get a score. You'll get a metabolic score by default. That's one type of use case. The other type is that people who want who are like certainly more curious, that you want to go deeper into their health. What they would do is they would log all of these events as well. They would say that at this point in time, I ate XYZ. So this is my glucose response. Uh, at 4 p.m., I did a strength training workout. This is my glucose response. So if you give us more information, of course, we can help you understand more about your life. So for example, if you tell us what sort of workout can you do, we can tell you how would you have actually improved your workout performance as well, uh, because glucose is a uh, zone three fuel. So um, zone three workout fuel. So uh, all those are, you can say, integrations as well as capabilities of the platform um, that, that are built. But at the very basic, you put on a CGM, you get a score, uh, you will be uh, given nudges from the platform to improve the score. And as you improve the score, you get metabolically healthier. Is there a target blood sugar? And when you talk about the range, because time and range is critical for people with diabetes, particularly type 1. And that range is very different than a person without diabetes. So do you have a target? glucose level that people are going for or is your because assuming that you are supporting people without diabetes is your range shorter smaller than than other um you know what someone with diabetes might need absolutely so we we deal with a very different range um this is the 70 to 110 range as we see on the platform so it doesn't mean that people don't need people can't reach or breach this this range as well. It's perfectly fine to breach uh, this range of 110 or also to actually be below 70, right? That's not what we mean by the range being there on the platform. But what's interesting is that uh, the amount of times that people breach this range, the amount of time that people spend outside this range, all of these factors uh, have a role to play in your metabolic health. So it's not just about one time breach or two times breaching, but 
how many times a week, how many times a month, how many, what is the amplitude of your breach, essentially, right? So all of these factors um, actually play a much larger role. And um, uh, that's why it's a thin, narrow band where we define uh, this band as optimal uh, glucose range for non-diabetic, non-metabolically disordered people. Uh, the way to understand this range, you can say from a research perspective in this space, is that um, there are two types of uh, research um, paradigms that you will see in the metabolic health space. One is you look at diabetic people and you look at their, or you look at pre-diabetic and diabetic people, in fact, and you look at uh, where exactly does the vascular damage start happening, right? What At what ranges? And generally, if you look at American Diabetes Association and everybody else, uh, the, the breach range is defined as 140, right? So 140 to 150 is sort of like the range uh, of that spending a lot of time is actually un- unhealthy. And it also depends uh, a lot on doctor and the diagnosis. And basically, uh, in certain geographies, there's a different standard. Like, for example, in India, uh, in certain segments in India, um, there's this culture that even 160 is okay, right? But that's on the diabetic side. Uh, what we've seen is that, in fact, in non-diabetic people, right, when you study non-diabetic people specifically uh, and non-metabolically disordered people, people who have uh, appreciable levels of insulin sensitivity, there what we have seen is that vascular damage starts happening uh, even as early as reach of 110. And uh, this in combination with glucose variability and average glucose being lifted, uh, sort of like you can say accentuates this factor. So it's not that you just breach 110 once and vascular damage will start happening. But then if your glucose variability is also high and the average glucose also stays high over a certain point, then of course your health will suffer a little bit. Right. So um, so those are the, that's why it's a meta, sort of like a aggregated score. So instead of just looking at number of spikes and number of uh, amount of time you're spending above a certain range, we what we've done is we have we have actually incorporate all of these factors into incorporate all of these factors into one algorithm uh, which basically sort of like helps you understand that one spike is okay because your score won't reduce by that much uh, one out of range is actually okay but then if you do it multiple times a day multiple times a week multiple times a month and have to- taller spikes it's actually pretty pretty bad does your app have like for example let's say if i registered and put my information in the app and let's say i had type 2 diabetes and would if is there first i guess what i'm trying to say is it possible to tell the app that i have type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes and would it adjust the range or will it look at my markers differently and score me in a different way so as of now uh, we are actually focused on the uh, non diabetic uh, population because i think uh, with the diabetes and specifically with the uh, with the scenario of medication, the, the glucose patterns become harder to interpret, given the fact that the reduction in glucose or the increase in glucose could be because of factors that are non-lifestyle, right? And just to recap, uh, we are a lifestyle optimization platform, right? So uh, the focus would be to influence improvement of your glucose metabolism through your lifestyle. So if medication comes into picture, uh, it's a little bit more complicated. So we haven't yet built an intervention for people who are on medication, but it does not mean that in the future we might not. So people who are diabetic who are not under medication might actually still find value. But people who are diabetic and are undergoing medication, I think the recommendation is that the platform in fact asks you a question that if you're diabetic, 
uh, please don't use the platform. Uh, and uh, even if you're non-diabetic, you should use this platform in combination with your physician or uh, your medical professional that you're in touch with. So I think it's important that people understand that this is an important biomarker to optimize. At the same time, this is a critical biomarker, right? So uh, we, we cannot misinterpret this biomarker uh, by uh, in any way, right? So we should not misinterpret this as well. Yeah, that's that's really good to highlight because... I mean, as we talked earlier, people see something on social media and they think, oh, wow, this is really great and this can can help me, but unknowingly or naively, and then they might have diabetes and, you know, don't take it so seriously. And then suddenly they're using something that may not be good for them or that they don't understand, I guess, how to use sometimes if they don't have oversight by a doctor. If yeah. let's say I don't have diabetes, but I start using uh, the app and then my um, blood sugar is quite high and can't seem to get it down. Is there a way that you could notify people that then maybe they need some medical intervention? Yeah. So one is the medical intervention, um, which uh, our support team and performance coaches on the platform will reach out to you and tell you that if you, you might actually want to. And there are two options. In fact, one is uh, reach out to a medical professional or actually calibrate your range. Sometimes there is a calibration challenge as well on the platform because your baseline might not have been adjusted really well. Uh, we've seen both the scenarios. But in these two scenarios, we do uh, facilitate uh, reach out from the, the internal team so that people are actually aware about what's actually happening in the body. It should not be a surprise. And it should not certainly be a shock after a few months of usage. Does your app or any anywhere, I guess it could be anywhere else, but within the app, does it have like, do you educate people about metabolic health? Not not just showing your upper or lower limit, but I mean, some some apps do that in the form of videos or, you know, different things like this and explaining to them. Like earlier, you gave the example of maybe a strength workout um, improving their the score. But if you do a strength workout, typically your blood sugar is going to go up. Yeah. So do you explain why? Because some people, um, they'll put a CGM on and maybe they have like a pre-diabetes diagnosis or something. And then they think they're doing good by exercising and then they go exercise and their blood sugar will go up yeah. and then they're, they're scared to exercise. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's in both scenarios. One is in line with the usage of the platform. We, uh, we actually send you uh, both corrective nudges, but also uh, nudges on the basis of learning. So if you log a workout that essentially uh, gives you a spike, the platform will tell you that this spike was actually pretty okay because it was a gluconeogenesis spike. Um, so that is training in line with your uh, your events and your activity in the day. We also create our own videos and our own, um, uh, you can say audio podcasts and stuff uh, ourselves, blogs and videos and podcasts. The videos are interesting because they are um, three to five minute videos. So you could just like in context to where your score is, you would be suggested a specific type of video as well on the basis of what day you are at. Like essentially if you're on the first day or the 15th day or the, let's say the 30th day, what is, which one is the most relevant video that you should be seeing? Um, we have sort of like created these animated videos to help people understand what is the core mechanism through which this is happening. Why is your proposal moving in a certain way? A lot of you know, users who actually use the platform tell us that the platform is very, very educational in nature. So we educate people on insulin sensitivity and 
uh, specifically the phenomenon of insulin resistance and why does it happen? What are the downstream effects of insulin resistance? And uh, it's not just diabetes, right? It's also other metabolic disorders that, that are at the downstream of uh, reduced insulin sensitivity. So I think that's been a mega focus for us because we also attract a lot of, uh, you can say, self-motivated people, people who are motivated to take control of their own health uh, in their own hands and essentially they need it. Uh, they, they can't be convinced just by saying that, hey, here's this, uh, here's uh, a pill, you take it and your health will improve. These people are highly informed, they have questions and uh, they're, they're coming here because they've probably tried, they've probably tried like many, many things in the past, but they found it to be non-scientific or non uh, non-logical and then essentially switch to something that is more objective and more scientific. So I think it's an important part of the platform. Yeah, that's interesting. So before this podcast airs, so I've done two other discussions about this topic um, because I think it's really you know important to get the, the medical community input as well um, because we're always saying at, at Diapoint, we're not a clinic and the med- only medical advice we give is get medical advice. There, there's, you know, always a lot of general things we can talk about, but they need to go back and always ask their doctor what they're doing. Um, because I, I meet so many people that have had maybe, you know, metabolic issues, not just diabetes, maybe thyroid issues and other things. And maybe they felt like they got bad medical advice, but then they're like, oh, but I cured myself. And I'm like, well, how do you know? And yeah. they don't, they don't have any, any data. And I'm not suggesting that you ignore your doctor and get an app and solve it yourself, but, yeah. um, cause that can be quite dangerous, but all the doctors that I, I've talked to the endocrinologists and, and these are endocrinologists that see people with type two diabetes, type one diabetes. And I asked them what their thoughts were. And they said, it wasn't a terrible idea for people without diabetes to do it because the more data you have, as you're pointing out, then the more you can understand your health. Maybe it's not something we wanted or need to do over the long term for everyone. Um, but they they didn't, you know, they weren't, they weren't against it. Um, they said, you know, it, it it would help. And I'm not, I'm not so sure. I mean, I consider myself pretty healthy. I exercise, I've trained for a marathon, but I'm not so competitive that I, I personally feel the need to do it. Would I be curious? I don't know, maybe, but maybe I'm not because my son has type one and he has a CGM and I see enough CGM data all the time that I don't, I don't, um, you know, think about it in, in that way. But, but certainly I think what you've pointed out is that it, it can be helpful and highlight some habits or some things to people that would hopefully get them to go to their doctor and, and ask questions. And now a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Diapoint Coaching and Training. We offer different coaching packages to meet your different needs, whether it's a quick start health coaching package or maybe a three-month coaching transformation that you're in need of, we can support you. We also offer some personalized health evaluations, diabetes doula consultations, and more. Please visit the diapointshop.com and visit our coaching and wellness page to learn more. If you're still not sure, sign up for a free discovery call, and we can talk more about what you're looking for, what your needs are, and about how coaching might support you. And it's free. Now back to the show. The the one question that I um, I wanted to ask you, and I think a lot of people in the diabetes community have, 
So when your app first came to my attention, someone shared it. And here in Dubai, we have a, um, there's a group of moms and we all have children with type one diabetes. And someone highlighted there's a particular um, popular person, influencer type person. And he had on one of his social media videos, he's like, oh, I'm using this. Let me check my my blood sugar and and see. And I was aware of the use of glucose monitoring for people without diabetes. Um, I've seen and heard about a few uh, other applications before, but I never really explored it. And it was interesting because I thought, hmm, okay. Of course, if you have a company and you want it to be seen, you want it to be known, and it's very normal to, you know, have someone use it. But the reaction was mixed. Like one person said, oh, well, this is great because maybe now it will be more acceptable that our kids have this condition and they're wearing this device. But then others, and it just so happened, I wasn't seeking out this information, but adults with type one. Um, who are maybe some strong advocates, some of them have blogs and write articles and other things, they were very much against it. And I think I, I don't have diabetes, so I shouldn't maybe even speak on their behalf. But I think it's because people with type one don't have a choice. Sometimes people with type two don't have choices either. Metabolic things can happen, we can't control it. But nobody has a choice in type one. There's no prediction for type one. You will die in a matter of days without insulin and you have to wear this device all the freaking time. And it reminds you that, you you know, you have this condition and it's really hard. So they were feeling that why, or it's, it's not right. It's not, you know, something that the, the general public doesn't need because their pancreas works. So what would your response to those critics be? Uh, Just to understand this a little bit more. Uh, is the concern that general people should not wear because their pancreas works? Is the understanding, or uh, is the is the uh, is the reason that that this technology is highly critical for type one diabetics? So they should only be reserved for type one diabetics. It could perhaps be both because I can't speak on their on their behalf. I think a lot of it has to do with like, hey, your pancreas is working, so don't you know why. And then, and then maybe there's also the question of, is it going to help yeah. the, the research and finding yeah. for type one, or is it going to be that CGMs are now so acceptable and so cool that it, it undermines that, that search to, to solve the issue of type one. So I think, That's I think probably the, yeah. both, both questions that you ask, I think there's probably people that have both of those feelings or one or the other. So it could be both. could be both. Absolutely. I've certainly heard, heard both of these concerns. Um, first of all, to address this, I think clearly pancreas is not like a switch. So your insulin sensitivity or your body's ability to, I mean, in case of type one, uh, it's uh, body is unable to produce enough insulin. Um, in case of type two, there is the scenario of insulin resistance or reduced insulin sensitivity. In both the scenarios, um, the delivery of glucose to the body in the right way is actually not happening or the disposal of glucose in some cases is not happening, right? So it's sort of like an insulin dysfunction, to be honest. Now, uh, this, is a, uh, this is quite a paradox because first of all, pancreas is not like a switch. It's not like on one day it works and on the other day it stops working. So there is degradation that happens over time. And this degradation happens in type 2 and in other metabolic disorders 
because of uh, lifestyle changes or lifestyle disorders right so Usually. how do you actually some, some, there's a small percentage that's genetic yeah, but yeah, you, yeah. You, yeah often i mean of course we could eliminate so much type 2 and pre-diabetes and insulin resistance if people made lifestyle changes i don't deny absolutely that but there is a small percentage absolutely don't have 82 percent of people who actually have a uh, type 2 scenario because of a metabolic disorder that is more lifestyle led right so in those people these changes are happening in a uh, in because of their lifestyle because of uh poor food choices sometimes stressful lifestyles lack of activity lack of sleep etc right and uh, if those people end up choosing to measure their health after the problem has occurred now based on last 30 years of research we know that the diabetic remission rate is 92% once somebody is diabetic even if they change their lifestyle their probability of going back to becoming a diabetic is actually close to 92%. This is in the United States. So it's very hard to actually become a non-diabetic again, right? So yeah, type two, I know. I that's, I hate this thing about reverse diabetes because you might change your lifestyle for the short term and think it's okay. And then you can go back to doing what you were doing. And in the US, I believe it's very hard with all the processed foods and everything else that's happening in the food industry extremely hard and extremely expensive as well. It's cheaper to eat processed junk food. Um, So yeah, I I think that's a super important point that you just made, not related to any technology, but yeah, I think people should be aware of that. Absolutely. I think the, the, the point here is that unless people track the progress of their health, like if I, if I, had uh, um, slightly better insulin sensitivity or glucose disposal capabilities last year, and I'm, I have degraded for the last one. I'm not diabetic yet, but if that has happened, I should actually reverse this change before even becoming diabetic. Now, for me to reverse and change this means that I should probably go to like work out or basically balance my meals. It's a very small change in my lifestyle, right? And my stickability is much higher versus somebody who's already diabetic and realizes this almost always too late, right? So that's that's why it's important. Why we feel it's important to see data early is because you can prevent the problem from happening, right? It's as simple as that. You can prevent the problem from happening. And there is evidence around not just the prevention side of things, which is more mathematical in nature, because if you know data ahead of the problem being uh, ahead of problem occurring, you can obviously like action much faster and the uh, the you'll have more leverage with the problem, but also around glucose variability, which basically is the reason for oxidative stress or is a marker of oxidative stress. And even in health, so-called metabolically healthy people, uh, glucose variability is a problem. Now we have advanced evidence around that, right? So for them to track glucose variability, any which way is important, right? So those are the two reasons scientifically why uh, this is important, we feel. The other reason is uh, like concerning the, the concern of uh, these devices being, um, you can say, limited in nature and uh, devices being expensive and uh, devices being used by everyone else and not being as available to type 1 diabetics. I strongly feel that this is a, this is a big problem. I truly, truly resonate with the type 1 community here because of the fact that CGMs have enormous uh, capability to actually improve the lives lives of type 1 diabetics in the world. Uh, you know, in the US, I think the statistics that I was reading is that less than 4% type 1 diabetics actually have access to a CGM. Mm-hmm. After it's 20 years. Of the- yeah, a yeah. lot of people can't 
a lot of people can't afford it. I mean, in yeah. the U.S., they're available, but their insurance just doesn't cover um, wearables. Um, yeah. Like here, same same issue. My son's CGM is not covered, and it's expensive. It's extremely expensive. And if you don't have a job where you have a salary that you can afford it, then it's really challenging. And then there's other countries where it's it's just it's the choice between feeding your family or a month's salary and and buying one sometimes even it's it's quite quite expensive but yes it's it's uh, it's actually weird because type 1 is not a choice in many cases right in all and, cases uh, not many in all cases type 1 yeah, is not, not a exactly, choice let me correct that it's not a choice and uh, this is a forced down condition that why should cgms be actually so expensive right it is it is not the right thing for the world right and uh, i think what we believe is that the the only way out here is to make cgms extremely cheap right extremely accessible and only then i mean it's straightforward right i mean if cgms tomorrow become one tenth the price of what they are today it would certainly improve the quality of life of uh, millions of type 1 people out there right as straightforward as that like there are other things to do as well but then this is the most important thing to do now what is the path to making it cheaper the path to making any hardware device electronics cheaper right um is essentially to scale it i mean there is uh, if you apply uh, the laws of efficiency laws of replicability etc the only way to make it available in a mass way is to actually make it available to everyone else is to think like it should be made available to millions and millions of people uh, only then you will be able to achieve the economies of scale um if you keep it pristine and like a like only available to 10 million people or 20 million people globally then obviously the companies building this product are going to upmark this make this available only at a premium and only available to a small population and i and i certainly feel that that's a huge problem in this space today uh one glucose is an important biomarker your frequency of usage does not need to be uh like 26 times per year or 25 times per year like basically as frequent as the type 1 scenario but it should be a few times per year to understand how your glucose is trending um and b this technology should be made available to people and to make it available somebody has to actually scale this technology make it available make it available at 10x reduced cost one tenth the cost actually right and i think that i i would I, I'm actually in support of what the Taiwan community is actually saying in hand that if this is highly available to us, right, um, then this solves a lot of our uh, quality of life problem, and which is what we are also committed to as a mission, not directly but indirectly for sure. Which is if millions and millions of CGMs are available tomorrow, and there'll be companies that would actually find economies of scale here in manufacturing these CGMs at millions and millions of users of scale. all these devices are going to be made available at one tenth the cost that it is at right now this happened across all like the first smartphone was like compared to the cost of that smartphone versus smartphones today uh, same features basically right uh, like essentially the bomb the, the build of materials essentially reduces significantly over time um, so i think i think that's that's the second point second large point around why this should be made available and scaled as a category rather than thinking about yes should governments make it cheaper absolutely but then the problem with the government loop is that um it takes a lot of time and it will not happen in a global way 
it'll only happen in certain geographies where the insurance is uh, as we now we know with uh, years and years of insurance data is that uh, uh, having expensive healthcare uh, and uh, quality of healthcare might not necessarily be the same thing uh, your expenses will actually rise higher than the quality of healthcare available right so okay. government is going to pass on the stress to the citizens in terms of saying that if something is expensive and needs to be made available for free or let's say for very very minimal cost the stress will be there somewhere right instead if we make the technology cheaper then i think every government in the world would be keen to improve the quality of life for people around that those would be my two points i would say thank you for for that and i i would hope that's the case i think you know some people uh, with type 1 would say also they hope so as well but if you're you know using the us as an example if you look at the cost of insulin you know that's kind of needed on a larger scale and it's still not affordable for everyone in some countries yes in other countries no but yeah i do hope that you know laws that should be natural economic laws would hopefully apply to this um and make it accessible for everyone it would be wonderful what i've said um for and perhaps maybe you looked into it but what i've said to on the previous two podcasts is i don't know if you know the there's a brand of shoes called tods and i believe it was started by an american and when he was traveling he visited a place where um he saw people who had no shoes so he was inspired to he started making shoes it's like this kind of moccasin type um shoe and he would for every his thing was for every pair of shoes that he sold he would donate one pair of shoes to someone in need got just putting that out there so you know and and of course it depends on business models it depends on i don't know what um cgm you're using but also at what cost you get them but it, that would be probably a dream for so many people if there's companies out there that could make that part of of their business and it, it doesn't have to be your company it can be even the device companies that are marketing to people with diabetes for everyone that sold donate one you know to to someone in need now the challenge is you know making it sustainable that you keep needing to wear the the cgm but there is there's some and this isn't you know ultra humans issue to solve but there's some countries out there even they don't for for type, people with type 1 or any type of diabetes they're able to test their blood sugar once a week twice a month yeah because they yeah. just they, they don't have access and they have to go hours to a pharmacy and physically do it and so they're living with the condition really blindly so there's definitely something broken in some of the systems that needs to be fixed but of course we would hope that everyone could have access to this technology So I appreciate the way that you that you see it and the way that you're also supporting people to prevent, you know, as a prevention measure. I think that's that's really really great. Um, to add a little bit to that, I would say that I think in in this space all of us really have to uh, play to our strengths uh, to be honest, right? So the strength here uh, is for let's say uh, diabetes management companies is to actually think about how they think about the margins and margin expansion in this case so if they are able to make technology cheaper tomorrow should you expand your margin or should you pass it on to people that's another option to consider um the the role that we have uh, is to actually make technology cheaper 
um, and in, in in making technology cheaper, we find that we have the most leverage because we manufacture our own hardware as well, and uh, we have the design capabilities, the manufacturing capabilities. Um, we have the ability to understand how the architecture of our hardware works. So in this case, our role is really to push the um, man forward in terms of like ensuring that uh, newer hardware companies in the CGM space emerge, um, and uh, we have a form factor and a hardware that's uh, that's towards the direction of being 10x cheaper. And it might just be, I mean, it will be probably the same margin or lower margin for us, but it's just much higher scale. Like even from a business perspective, it's a phenomenally positive decision, right? Uh, because it, we, we will obviously have scale when the hardware is cheaper, it'll be much more accessible. So in our case, the business and the social goal is actually quite aligned, to be honest. Like if you make it available for millions of people, I think, Obviously, from a business perspective, it is also great. Uh, but I think the, the, the point with which we want to solve this is to solve the technology for technology problems, like make the filament significantly cheaper, significantly more accessible, uh, and the technology around it. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. So, looking ahead, going forward, so now that you're you're in the the UAE, what are your your plans for the the future? So the the UAE market is actually a um, really interesting market for us. Few reasons. One is that metabolic disorders are pretty much uh, on the rise at an rise at an accelerated rate in the UAE market, right? Um, because of multiple factors. In some cases, the lifestyle. Um, I think there is one hypothesis around uh, the food systems being completely ketogenic to now being very much processed food, and uh, there is this food shock that the body has that the the, the people have seen in the region for the last 40-50 years. Right, so they, like this, this region never had so much of sugar availability directly, right? Uh, versus tropical climate. So I think, um, I think there's a, you can say, a, uh, there's a geographical reason why uh, this is a place where metabolic disorders are happening right now. Um, I think the other reason is that uh, uh, the proximity to India, in our case. So um, I think we we see this. Uh, India UAE region as one homogeneous region, and of course uh, the GCC region as well. And, and I think the reason why there is homogeneity is because we are able to test on the basis of population what are some of these patterns, health patterns that we are seeing on similar type of lifestyle, similar type of uh, food types, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? Um, and um, uh, yes, there are a lot of variations as well. Like for example, between UAE and the Saudi region, you will find a lot of variations in terms of the food types. But then you'll also find a lot of similarities. So what we are interested in doing is to actually build depth in this region to really understand what are these interventions for the local population that would actually help them improve their condition of metabolic disorders. It might include lifestyle changes. It might include uh, things around, uh, let's say, fixing the food systems to some extent, uh, looking at what sort of food gets consumed and how do we actually help uh, in fact, companies in the food space understand this the responsibility that, uh, uh, like, us basically giving people access to uh, cheap uh, sugar, dopamine, etc. At, at, at a beyond a certain point, is not really helpful. Um, and I think the the large the la last opportunity for us in this region is to actually create, like, uh, you can say, a home brand uh, plus home technology, which basically gives access to people to technology that's actually made in UAE, right? I think that's important because if you remember uh, during pandemic, 
um, you know, there was a massive shortage of oxygen concentrators and oxygen uh, cylinders uh, throughout the world. And uh, UAE was also one of the regions where the shortage was well, like pretty much visible, right? Across uh, and also across other parts of the world. Medical devices are interesting because we have, you can say, some geographical dependencies on each other, right? So uh, there are certain CGMs that actually you buy from the European market. Um, if because of shortages and because of uh, inability to scale supply chain, tomorrow there are not enough CGMs in the UA region. The problem is that it's a critical hardware for a lot of people, like for example, for diagnostics, for sure, right? And um, uh, I think what we want to do is we want to become like a local supply center, local uh, manufacturing center, so that we just like food security, you should have medical security, right? So that's why the UAE region is actually pretty, pretty interesting for us. Uh, we want to provide medical security from a CGM perspective. We want to um, ensure that we implement local nuances of how people can actually improve their health um, given their food environment. And obviously, we, we see that uh, this is an area where, this is a region where uh, uh, we can actually help a lot of people. Yeah, great. Yeah, and I think on like medical security and food security, when the pandemic was happening, the the government was very quick to issue a statement say, "Don't worry, there will be no shortages." And there there were no no shortages. We didn't feel it. I mean, yes, everyone that was treating COVID in hospitals and different things there there were challenges, but they were very quick, very on top of it. You know, created all these new task force and just the pandemic was handled so well. Um, yeah. You know, you didn't see people, people were go to the supermarket and you didn't see people like hoarding toilet paper <laughs> like they were in the US. We had toilet paper on the shelves. Yeah. Um, there there was not a shortage of medication or anything, anything like that. So, so I think yeah. it's, it's really great. I mean, and they're, they're proactive in that, in that approach, I would say. So that's probably a good um, discussion to have. Diabetes, as you probably know from your research, there's a large genetic component in the GCC. Um, but we also know that lifestyle changes can sometimes turn that around or help you, you better manage it. So, so it should be, should be very interesting. Um, I really thank you so much for your time and letting us explore the one, the provocativeness of CGMs for people with diabetes and people without diabetes and how your app works and how it supports people um, in their health and wellness and getting more data and learning more, more about their health. So I just want to really thank you for taking your time um, to, to help us learn more about it. Absolutely. I had a good time here. And uh, I think this is a space that requires a lot of um, detailed conversation because I think this is the space that will actually evolve massively over the next few years as more and more people take control of their own health. So uh, thank you for uh, giving us a forum to discuss this and really appreciate you taking time as well. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. You too. Thank you. I want to again thank Mohit for joining me for this very important discussion. It was very interesting to learn um, more about UltraHuman. And I'll be really honest, I went into this conversation really skeptical. I asked many people their opinions, people in the digital space, people with diabetes, doctors. Um, I've been asking almost everyone that is in the healthcare field or digital field or diabetes uh, space, 
what they've thought about this. And the answers have been drastically different. Some see it as a positive, some see it as a negative. I think understanding Mohit's and ultra humans intention of how people without diabetes use the device um, was quite eye-opening and enlightening and gave us some more insight into their thoughts on it. It was also very interesting to hear his responses um, about critics of the device, uh, people that have diabetes that you know are very outspoken about this, this technology. So it was good to hear his side of the story. Um, and I'm so glad that he came on because I wanted this to be well-rounded and not just a one-sided conversation. So I really want to thank them again. And if you want to learn more about Ultra Human, we'll have all the information in the show notes. You can go visit their their website and, and social media as well. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you like what you heard, please go to Apple Podcasts, like, review, rate us. Um, or if you're on Spotify, you can follow the podcast. That really helps more people find the podcast and helps us continue to do what we do so we can continue to dare I say, dismantle all of the misinformation that's out there about health, wellness, and diabetes, and also just help people find our guests more easily as well. So we would really appreciate your support in doing that. Thank you so much again for supporting the show. Have a wonderful day.